Good morning. Great to see you. Hope your Christmas is going well. It, it is the week. Shannon's already mentioned it. It's the week of our white elephant party, so hopefully you're signed up and you're ready to go. And if not, this is the day. Get signed up today. The sign-ups are at guest services. Uh, she mentioned we've already got a couple of homes that are full. Uh, we've had to close those, so get signed up today. It's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of laughs and a lot of memories. You don't want to miss it. It's a great way to meet some people, too. Just real informal, no pressure. Uh, just come as you are, and we're going to have a great time. Uh, I, I know that going to a white elephant party means you got to bring a white elephant gift, and some of you may be struggling with that, like you're not real sure what to take, uh, what your gifts are going to be. That's what I'm here for, all right? I'm here for you. I, I look out for you. I try to help you with these uh, life struggles that you have. So I brought some suggestions, just merely suggestions. You can take them or not, uh, of what you could bring to this weekend's white elephant party. For example, number one, you could get a big head squirrel feeder. And I, I, maybe you want to get multiple of these because you probably need five or six of these in your yard. And then people could drive by and look at them. That would be a great gift. Um, a unicorn inflatable horn, if you, just for that person who loves unicorns. You never know who that's going to be. Uh, sticking with the unicorn family, some canned unicorn meat. Uh, it's, it's a delicacy somewhere, so uh, you might want to pick up some of that. This is probably my favorite, though. It is a yodeling pickle. <clears throat> and who doesn't need a yodeling pickle, Really? I, 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 let me show you the description, just in case you're not sold. This yodeling pickle has the purpose of, well, it doesn't actually serve a purpose at all. It's a yodeling pickle. This is the sort of gift that will leave them scratching their heads, and once you press the button and it starts yodeling, the party can finally start. Just think of how people will be speaking of you if you're the one who brings the yodeling pickle to the white elephant party. If none of those are right... There's always bacon-flavored toothpaste. Right. It's just for that not-so-minty-fresh feeling in the morning, you started out with bacon toothpaste. Well, feel free, feel free to, to, to use any of those for your white elephant gift. If you don't take any of those, you may leave with one of those, right? Because the great thing about white elephant parties, everybody leaves with something. You get to take... Something home. Now, it's, it's, um, it might not be what you want to take home. Uh, chances are it probably won't be something you want to take home, but you will get a gift. That's why I encourage you to start thinking about strategy. I mean, I know we're still five days away, but it's never too soon to start thinking about white elephant strategy and do you go for the really big gift because you know there's got to be something really good in a big gift or... You want to keep it small, thinking, well, maybe there's less embarrassment in a smaller gift. Or do you go wrapped? Do you go for the bag? Uh, do you go for the steel because it's a known quantity, right? You know what you're going to be getting. Everybody's already seen it. Lots of strategies. Uh, while I think strategy can be good, at the end of the night, you're still going to leave with a yodeling pickle, though. Something like that, right? <laughs> What's not going to happen... I feel confident saying 
is that nobody's going to come up to you in January and say, hey, what was the best Christmas gift you got? And you start describing the white elephant gift that you got. That's probably not going to be the greatest of all. They're fun gifts. They're hilarious gifts. They make for great parties. But nobody looks at their white elephant gift and thinks, this is the greatest thing I got all Christmas. Uh, for, for, for some, you'll probably spend more money on the wrapping of your white elephant gift than on the actual gift, right? Because you're going you're gonna to get the gift out of the back of your closet or out of the cabinet, something you had not used the last two years, stick it in a bag, and away we go. White elephant gifts and white elephant parties, uh, really, if you had to describe them, you could probably describe white elephant gifts this way. Really great wrapping, really lousy gifts. Right. Great wrapping, lousy gifts. Matter of fact, the wrapping's part of the disguising of it, right? Trying to fool somebody to pick your gift. Really great wrapping, usually fun, hilarious, but lousy gifts. When you think of the Christmas story, the Christmas story is just the opposite of that. Rather than really great wrapping, really lousy gift, the Christmas story is really Lousy wrapping, really great gift. Really lousy wrapping, really great gift. Think about it. Now, I know that the Christmas story is so familiar. We know, we know at least bits and pieces of the Christmas story. And because it's so familiar, we can, we can sort of put all the pieces together. Not only that, but the Christmas story has been really romanticized. Starry nights and peace and quiet. I mean, we have these romantic ideas about the Christmas story thanks to Christmas cards and Christmas songs, but really it was pretty lousy rapping. Like the whole environment, everything that happened, you could say in one sense everything went wrong. The story starts with an unwed teenage girl. And all of the social and religious stigma that goes along with that, all of the whisperings, the looks. As I was reading the Christmas story from Luke again this week, uh, it dawned on me that in our whole nine months of pregnancy, we get to read about only one conversation she had, only one. And that conversation was with her cousin, a, a lady by the name of Elizabeth. And, and maybe the reason we get to read that conversation is because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was the one person who could understand. Elizabeth, maybe, was the one person that believed Mary because Elizabeth and her husband had also been approached by an angel. An angel who said, look, I know you're, you're kind of old and I know you've never had kids before, but you're going to have a child Elizabeth understood. Who knows what the other conversations that Mary had during her pregnancy were like? Who knows what just walking down the street was like? We do know from Luke chapter 1 that, that Mary spent at least three months of her pregnancy at Elizabeth's house. Maybe because she didn't want to have the conversation. Maybe because she knew nobody believed her. Maybe because she could overhear those conversations wherever she went. It's not really the way you'd want it to be. Luke describes it this way in Luke chapter 2. In those days, 
Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. More lousy rapping for the first Christmas. Not only do we have an unwed teenage girl, but now Rome, Rome who doesn't respect the customs or culture of the Jewish people, Rome has decided we're going to take a census. And you have to go back to your hometown in order to be counted. It wasn't one of those things where you could fill out a form online or you could go to the government agency wherever you live and take care of this. You had to travel to your hometown in order to register. And that meant Mary, full term, right, about to pop, and she's got to go 70 miles. The Bible doesn't really tell us how she got there. Did she Walked the whole way? Did she ride an animal? Was it, a, was, it a, was it a combination of the two? I'm just thinking it probably wasn't very comfortable. I mean, the truth be told, I've never been pregnant myself, just in case you were wondering. I've never had the experience personally, but the, the people who have been pregnant that I've talked to, I've done some research about this, and, and most of them feel like if you're nine months pregnant, Going 70 miles, no matter what means you use to travel, is not a pleasant experience. Whether you walk 70 miles or ride a donkey or a giraffe or a luxury cruise ship, it doesn't matter. If you got to move nine months pregnant, it's not that great an experience. And here's Mary somehow making the trip 70 miles to Bethlehem. Luke goes on in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So they travel 70 miles somehow, pregnant woman, 70 miles, and then two worst-case scenarios come up. Number one are water breaks, right? Like, it's time, baby's coming, get ready. And then, secondly, there's no place to stay. I mean, maybe Mary and Joseph thought if we could get to Bethlehem and And we could stay somewhere and we could take care of the census and maybe we could get back home before you have to deliver this baby. That was not going to be the case because when they got into Bethlehem, it was time for the baby to be born. Now, when you traveled somewhere, you didn't call ahead and make reservations 2,000 years ago. You didn't log on to Expedia and find the leftover rooms and snatch up a couple of them before you got to Bethlehem. You rode into town and you started knocking on doors. And you started looking for some place to stay. And more than likely, they went through several of those places before they realized there's no vacancy in this city. There's not a room for anybody, even a pregnant person about to deliver a child. Until one person, we know them as the innkeeper, steps up and says, Look, I don't have another room, but I have a a stable where the animals stay. And, And maybe... He swept it out, maybe he shoveled it out or whatever to try to make it presentable, but 
Come on, you, you don't make a stable look like a birthing room. No matter how hard you try, you're not cleaning up this picture. You're not making this a great place to have your first child or any child, but that's exactly what happened. And that night, in that place, in that crazy environment, unexpected wrapping, the Son of God comes into the world. And we're told that Mary wrapped the child in swaddling cloths. And probably most of us, if you're like me, when you read that line, you, you think of a mom wrapping that first blanket around a baby so that they're warm. That, that blanket that the child's going to keep with them, right? their first blankie, right? they're going to hold it and be comforted by it, and they're going to drag it around until it's absolutely filthy and it's coming apart thread by thread and Eventually, you got to bribe them to get it away from them so they don't get beat up at sleepovers, right? Like, you got to give this up eventually. We sort of think of that first snuggly blankie that she must have wrapped him in, but it was a little more complicated than that. Back during that time, they believed that you should wrap the limbs of a newborn individually. They believed it would protect the child. They believed it would help the limbs to grow straight and strong. And so this was kind of a difficult chore. If you can imagine wrapping the arms and the legs of a newborn and then wrapping maybe a blanket around that, which is why normally a, a mom who had just delivered the baby would have help with that. Normally her mother or sisters or a midwife or someone would step in and say, let me get him ready. Let me wrap the limbs but when we read the story, it's just Mary and Joseph and the baby. Nobody else there. Nobody to help. Then, of course, they have company. People show up as their parents finally make it back from Paris just in time for Christmas Day. Or is that home alone? I think that's home alone, right? Uh, seeing if you're awake. It's not their parents, it's not their siblings, it's not their cousins, it's not even friends. Complete strangers show up at the door, and they smell like sheep. And who knows how long they've been out in the field. Who knows how many days and nights, and here they are. Now, again, never been pregnant. But I've been present for the birth of three, right? I had the easy job all three times. I get that. I understand that. But there was never a time that my wife delivered a baby and then thought, hey, let's entertain perfect strangers this afternoon. Let's welcome people we don't know into the delivery room. No, you had to have a medical degree to get into the room, right? You had to be a doctor, a nurse, a technician. You had to have a fancy badge that could be checked, or you had to be closely related. Like, we weren't just inviting everybody to come in and see the baby. And on that night, the baby was born. Perfect strangers show up. And nobody's helping them put scrubs on, right? Or a mask or, or booties on their feet so they don't track germs in. They didn't have the little hand sanitizer squirt at the door to make sure they were clean enough to come in. It was a dirty, smelly, 
first Christmas. The whole environment, the whole location, everything about it screams terrible rapping, lousy rapping. Everything around this is not the way it's supposed to be. And yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of the wrapping, in spite of the outside, the Savior of the world came to this earth that night. Even though everything was not the way it should have been, God became flesh and was born of a virgin and laid in a manger of all places, in the oddest set of locations and people an environment, the Savior of the world came. Lousy wrapping, great gift. Lousy wrapping, beautiful gift. Lousy environment, beautiful gift. As he got older and he began to teach, Jesus would often draw a distinction between the wrapping and what's on the inside. He would often draw a distinction between what everybody sees, the way everybody thinks it ought to be, and what's really happening on the inside of a person. At one point in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is referencing some, some traditions that his Jewish audience would have understood, but basically he was talking about washing dishes. And he said, here's a problem for some people. Think, think of it this way. Here's a metaphor. There are people that are very concerned about the outside of the cup. Like they clean it and shine it because that's the part that everybody else sees. They're very concerned about the wrapping. They're very concerned about the outside. And so they clean up the outside of the cup, but it's still dirty on the inside. And that's the most important part. He would say there are, there are religious people, church people, religious leaders, he would say. And they clean the outside of the cup, but on the inside there's greed, there's self-indulgence. And that's not something you can see very easily. That's not something you can identify in other people. But Jesus kept sending this message. That's the most important part. He goes on in Matthew 23 to say, you know, some people make a big show out of giving their offering. Like they do it in front of people. They want everybody to see them. But they don't give an emphasis to things like mercy and justice and real faithfulness. And Jesus wasn't saying that those other things aren't important. Jesus was saying sometimes we prioritize what people can see over the things that are unseen. And Jesus said, I've come to teach you that the things that are unseen are, are just as important. The things that nobody notices, nobody detects about your heart. That's the most important part. So give attention to that. Hundreds of years before Jesus comes, there's a prophet by the name of Hosea. He's got a little tiny book in the Old Testament. And he's writing the, the message from God. And part of God's message in Hosea chapter 6 is, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Again, he wasn't saying this is bad and this is good. 
He was saying, what I'm really concerned about is what's going on in your heart. And all of these outward things, they can be fine. They can be a part of who you are. They can be a part of your relationship to God. But I'm really, really most concerned about what's going on on the inside. Not the, not the wrapping so much. Along with the idea of priority, maybe he was conveying this idea of proportion. Right? Don't disproportionately emphasize the, the stuff that people see, because that's what we're, we're naturally drawn to do. I want everybody to think certain things about me. I want everybody to think that I'm this kind of person. God isn't against what people see. He's just saying, look, if you'll emphasize what's in here, then the stuff on the outside will take care of itself. Like if your heart is right, if your relationship to God is right, then those things on the outside, you won't have to prioritize those. You won't have to emphasize those. They'll just be there. If you'll take care of what's on the inside. Now, we're celebrating Christmas 2,000 years later, and boy, it's so easy to get sucked into the outside and appearance at Christmas. It's so easy to prioritize wrapping over substance at Christmas because... Seriously, there is nothing in our culture that sends the message, hey, just worry about the inside. I mean, everything about our culture says, no, you need more, you need wrapping, you need big, you need bold. Even the most heartfelt advertisement during this time of year, and let's admit, there is some of that. Even the most heartfelt advertising this year usually ends with, you really ought to buy her some jewelry though, Right? Like the most heartfelt family-oriented commercial usually ends with, you should get them a new car and put a big bow on it, and that'll solve everything. Or at a minimum, buy your turkey at Publix, right? It always has that last little, well, you need this. Well, this is what your holiday needs. Well, this will help your Christmas. Every message we get in our culture is about the outside. It's about the wrapping and the bow and the stuff. So... Let me give you a couple of suggestions. As we walk through a Christmas that emphasizes the wrapping, what can you do? What can I do? Well, first, recognize that if you and your loved ones, you and your family, your friends, if you're going to experience a truly meaningful Christmas, it's going to be because you prioritize it. It's because you decide we're going to guard our Christmas. And yeah, we'll go to parties and we'll have fun and there'll be wrapping and bows and there'll be some exterior, but we're not going to let that become disproportional to what's most important about this Christmas. Nobody's going to do it for you. No company's going to do it for you. Amazon's not going to do it for you. Commercials aren't going to do it for you. Nobody's going to do it for you. Somebody in your family, you have to decide. These are our parameters because we're going to keep Christmas about Christmas. Secondly, it's easy, I think, because of that, because of the environment that we're in, it's easy to fake our way spiritually through the Christmas season. Let me explain what I mean. Christmas is one time of year when, on a broader base, Religion and spiritual topics are, are accepted. People join in. 
Uh, people who, who maybe, maybe don't identify with religion the rest of the year, they kind of get in at Christmas. And I, I love that. I, I love that the language of Christmas is kind of across the board has this spiritual nature to it. And, and people, for the most part, are okay using that language. I, I love the fact that Spiritual religious songs are, are played and sung wherever you go this time of year. I love that conversation is happening. I, I love that, that at Christmas services are just a little fuller and, and we, we see folks maybe that we haven't seen in a while. I love that we celebrate that and, and families prioritize a Christmas service or a Christmas Eve. I love that. But my caution is, Because it's so much the conversation, because the songs are being played and sung, it's easy to allow my spiritual experience just to kind of drift along with that accepted Christmas tempo. And instead of asking heart questions like, where am I really with Jesus? Like, where's my heart with Jesus this year? Not just am I singing along to the songs or am I catching a service or two or are we reading the Christmas story even though that's a great idea but deeply thinking about where am I with Jesus this year? How's my heart with Jesus this year? And and maybe even asking when when all of the songs are gone, when we roll into the new year, where am I going to be with Jesus then? What's going to be going on in my heart then? See, Jesus was always pressing past the wrapping and past the exterior and past the activities to say, what's in there is what I'm really concerned about. What's in there, what's in the core of your being, your heart, the things that you think about, that's what Jesus came for. And then finally, if your Christmas is not looking the way that you hoped it would, if you honestly step back from your Christmas and go, man, this, the relationships aren't where I want them to be. It's not going to be exactly what I wanted it to be. It's not going to have the wrapping and the bow that I wanted it to have. We're not going to be with them. These people aren't getting along. These relationships are strained. This isn't going to happen. If you look at your Christmas this year and think, boy, it's kind of lousy wrapping in some way. Just know that on the very first Christmas, when there was lousy wrapping and a terrible environment and everything went wrong, Jesus came anyway. Jesus came in the midst of everything going wrong. Jesus came in the midst of a first Christmas that nobody would have planned. No one would have decided this is the way it ought to happen. And Jesus came anyway. And he will for you as well. Regardless of how nice the wrapping is this year. I think second only to Matthew and Luke's telling of the Christmas story. We would all agree that the greatest telling of the Christmas story is the Grinch who stole Christmas. Right? Are we on the same page there? I mean, Dr. Seuss just had it together. There's the moment at the end of the book, the end of the movie... 
After the Grinch has stolen, stolen all of the trees and all of the ornaments and all of the wreaths and all of the ribbons and bows and even the roast beast out of the oven, and he takes them all back up to his place on the sleigh and he waits. He waits for Christmas morning to start because he's anticipating, as you remember, he's anticipating everyone to be sad and for there to be crying and discouragement and depression and little kids' hearts to be broken. And they sing. And they continue to sing. And they continue to sing until that moment when the Grinch has to admit Christmas came anyway. Christmas came anyway. It came without the wrapping. It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, and bags. Remember how it goes? It came... That wasn't perfect, and it came anyway. This is exactly what the first Christmas was. It wasn't perfect. It was smelly and dirty and awkward, and there were characters there that we wouldn't have put in the story, and they had to go to places and experience things that we would have never written in. And guess what? The Son of God came anyway. And he's been doing that for 2,000 years. He comes even to Christmases where the wrapping's lousy. One of the great things about that first Christmas is none of it was a mistake. Like In all of the awkwardness of Christmas wrapping of the first Christmas, God was fulfilling his plan. These weren't random things that happened. God was actually involved in every step of the process. For hundreds of years, prophets have been saying, yes, the Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to come from humble means. He's going to come in a way that you wouldn't expect Him to come. I mean, all of those things that we would look at and say, boy, it shouldn't have been that way. It shouldn't have been that way. That was God's plan. And maybe, maybe Christmas 2016, as you celebrate with wrapping that may not be exactly what you want, Maybe God is doing something that you don't know about yet. Maybe even in that, if you trust Him, if you celebrate Him, if what's on the inside is right with Him, who knows what He may be doing this Christmas? Whether the bows and the wrapping are what you wanted or not, whether there's great wrapping or lousy wrapping, what I know is Jesus comes anyway. Let's pray. God, thank you for a story that most of us can relate to. I mean, most of us can relate to a story that's not perfect because most years, our Christmas isn't perfect either. Most years, there are things that we wish were different, or relationships we wish were different, rapping we wish were different. Most years, maybe every year, there's a burden or a heartache or a concern or a person or a strained relationship, a need, a job. Now, this could go on and on of imperfect Christmas. Thank you for saying on the very first Christmas that Jesus will come to imperfect Christmases too. He will come to Christmases that have lousy wrapping because that just doesn't matter. 
What matters is what's happening on the inside of us. So let this Christmas be about Jesus. For we pray it in his name.